Katie Kempner, and welcome to Perspectives, which is a series of inspiring conversations with remarkable working women. Today, I'm really excited to be talking with Dara Sanderson, CEO of Dictionary.com. Welcome. Hi, Katie. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So there's so much to talk about. Can we just start sort of setting the stage by talking about your career up until what you do right now, your journey seems really fantastic from entertainment to Marvel to the skim. Tell us about it. Yeah. If you, so let me start by saying, if you had asked me back, you know, in my twenties, right after college, where I saw my career going, this is not what I would have said would have happened. Um, you know, but where, where I started, um, I'll just even go back further. I studied theater in college. Me too. (laughs) I studied theater. And I was going to go down that creative route. I was going to be an actress. And, um, you know, so I I studied that and it was wonderful. And um, I got out of school, as you do. And you're like, all right, you know, I'm from New York. So I came back to New York. And I had that time where it was like, you know, you work the, the do they call it Girl Friday anymore jobs? I don't know. But, you know, you have the, the assistant job and you're trying to break in. And I realized I just did not enjoy the business of it. I enjoyed the creative process and I enjoyed the collaboration with other creative people. But I hated the slog of like go to auditions and get your headshots. And I realized, OK, this isn't actually what I want to do. And I was working as an assistant um, at for a you know pretty high-powered executive at a bank, and I was bored out of my mind. Right, so I had this college education. Here I am, you know, booking travel and you know doing things. I was like, I could do more than this. I had always had an affinity for computers, um, ever since uh, the days of the Commodore sixty-four. That's when I was <laughs> in school. Um, now kids are like, what? 64. But I actually started learning how to program um, as a kid. And this is around the time of the dot-com boom, uh, when, you know, everything was sort of taking off. And they weren't teaching classes in college then for what I do now. It wasn't a thing, right? Um, and so I taught myself. So I, I'm at this job that's, you know, not really that taxing. And I had time to learn how to program again. And I rediscovered my love for engineering and programming. Um, And so I went down this rabbit hole and became an engineer. Uh, And I took my first job um, at a company called hotjobs.com, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, A lot of my journey is like, anymore. but um, that was my first engineering job. And it was perfect for me. I loved the problem solving aspects. I loved building things and then saying, look, I built this, right? And then presenting it to people. Um, So, but I would say that throughout my career, even though I thought I was a pretty good engineer, that's not actually what propelled me forward. What propelled me forward was my ability to communicate, a lot of which I owe to my training in the theater. So it's interesting how the things come together, right? So here I am, I've worked, you know, at a number of different digital media companies. um, And I would say, so I went from hot jobs to WebMD um, and I was there for a bit. And then I think I got a lovely cross section when I migrated out to Los Angeles um, to work for the Walt Disney Company for the first time. 
because I've worked at the Walt Disney Company more than once time, um, as an engineer for their parks and resorts online, mm-hmm. um, which is what it was called then. And now is the point where I got to have this nice cross-section between entertainment, if you will, um, and the digital experience. Um, and while I was in LA, I was there 10 years, I first worked uh, for Parks and Resorts, and then I transitioned over to the television side, working for ABC Daytime. Um, and it was there that I really got to have a lot more close contact with um, people who were creating shows, right? And trying to help them figure out digital extensions for those shows. Again, this is still pretty early on. You know, we're talking MySpace time. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so it was exciting and it was fun. Um, but it was taxing and you can get a little burnt out. You know, it's it's the kind of job where if something's broken at two o'clock in the morning, um, you got to get up and fix it. Uh, and, you know, I was there for, I think, about five years uh, when I got a little burnt out. I was like, you know what, I'm going to I need to do something else. Right. So I took some time off. About a year uh, and I came back working for Fox. <laughs> um in, in there, a box that working for box.com. Um, I was there for about a year. Uh, and then I was actually, I had my daughter. Um, I have a daughter. She's nine. Her name is Maya. And I was on maternity leave uh, from Fox and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I got contacted by a vendor who we had worked with at Fox who remembered me and remembered enjoying working with me and asked if I would come and work with them. And I gotta tell you, a lot of my career has been that. People that I have worked with um, who will remember me and remember that they liked working with me would have an opportunity and reach out again. So I would, you know, it's kind of, that's how it was. Um, Through the course of that job, I moved back to New York, which is home. uh, And I was working for an ad tech company. Again, it was a position where someone that I knew at Fox um, remembered me and then brought me into this other company. It was really interesting, but I sort of wandered away from the entertainment space um, a bit. And while I was there, um, this opportunity at Marvel came up um, for a role that was called VP of Platforms, right? It's like, what is that? Um, and essentially it is overseeing um, engineering and product and a number of other digital related platform things for Marvel Entertainment. <laughs> Looks interesting. Um, and I talked to an old friend who I worked with um, at Disney back in the TV days who said, oh, yes, I'm sending you right over." right? And it was one of those things where in a month I was back again right? <laughs> at Disney once again. So that was um, a fun, exciting time. And, you know, I am always a person who, if there's a new opportunity, something to try that I haven't done before, I'm game. Like, all right, maybe I haven't done that before, but I don't think I can figure it out. I'm game. And that has kind of led me from Marvel to the skim. Um, and then, you know, most recently uh, as CEO of Dictionary.com. So it's it's been a winding journey, but every step of the journey has been something I needed, a piece of the puzzle to get me to the next thing. A lot of times people, women, they don't know when to make a move or they want to make a move. They're feeling burnt out and they're afraid to do it. Of course, sometimes a decision is made for you, but 
But a lot of times people end up staying in positions longer than they should. What was it for you that made you say, okay, I, I think I'm ready to, to make a move? So I, so I did mention sometimes opportunities present themselves, right? When you least expect it. Um, and for me, it's being unafraid. Now, unafraid doesn't mean fearless. Right. Right. It doesn't mean fearless because, you know, I'm scared to try new things, too. I'm scared to jump out there, too. But and this is hard for a lot of women. When you get to a place, when you know what your worth is and you know what you have to bring to the table and you believe that you can overcome challenges, you are less afraid to jump out there because it's like, you know what, whatever happens, I know what I bring to the table and I can take a chance and I might fail. And that's okay too, right? It took a while to get to that place. Um, I can, I have a a story. I was working at uh, ABC and I had, um, my boss was this woman. She was, you know, VP of my, my group. And we were at a big round table meeting, right? One of those giant conference rooms and there's the president of the network and this one and that one, whatever, a room full of people. And I come in the room, you know, at this point, I'm, um, I don't even know, I think I was manager or director of something. And I sat down on the wall. Did you know there's tears at the table and there's chairs around the wall. And she looked at me and she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm gonna sit. She said, no, no, come sit at the table. And I was like, no, that's okay. <laughs> I was like, you know, that's okay. She was like, no, come sit at the table. And someone giving me that permission, like I shouldn't have needed it, but I did. Right. Right. I did. So all of those things and different experiences got me to a place where I was confident enough to take a chance to make a change. And that's the same boss when I quit. She was just like, what? Wait, yeah, it's just like something else now, <laughs> right? So, I mean, that's just, I go with, I go with it because I'm not afraid to just try something different. There are so many things in there that I could focus on, but the one thing that I also really wanted to say was a lot of times people ask about networking or they're, you know, like, should I go to this networking thing or be a part of this group? And mm-hmm. I always believe that the best type of networking is not any of that, but it's making the, you know, taking the time to do what you do really, really well and connecting with the people that you naturally are coming across in your work. And then that will come back to help you. Absolutely. And that's what happened for you, it sounds like. Absolutely. I'm full of stories today, but you know, I would, I would be the first person to tell you I'm a terrible networker. I used to say that all the time. I'm terrible at networking. It is not natural for me. It feels forced. It feels this, it feels that. And I was working uh, at a job and there was a period where I felt like I should have had an advancement and they put this guy in over me and I was not happy and all that. Right. And so this guy's like, let's go to lunch. And I'm like, I don't want to, I have work to do. <laughs> like, I don't want to go to lunch. Maybe you can go to lunch, but I have work to do. And he finally takes me to lunch and I'm, you know, I'm there kind of rolling my eyes internally. I was like, I'm already annoyed, right? And he said to me, you know, you're really good at your job, but you should get up and walk around and talk to people. 
And at the time, I didn't realize it. He was trying to help me. Yeah. Because that kind of networking you're talking about, being present, talking to the people around you, I was so heads down. And so about, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it better than anybody else. I was kind of missing the point <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And he really, he was trying to help me. Years later, I saw him and I thanked him. But at the time, I was not very grateful. <laughs> no, that's terrific. Well, let's talk about where all of this has led you to. I love the descriptor about dictionary.com, which says, words define every aspect of our lives from our ideas to our identities. Dictionary.com aspires to empower every person of every background to express themselves, make connections, and open the door to opportunity through the power and joy of language. Oh, that's so beautifully put. So can you please talk about the company and your role there as CEO? Absolutely. So I'm glad you resonate with that um, because, you know, it was very intentional when I When I first came in um, to the company, really nailing down that vision and mission with my leadership team was one of the first things that I did when I stepped into this role. Because look, I don't think anyone would dispute the power of language in our lives, right? But how do you encapsulate that in a clear company mission and vision? It's a very broad thing. And When I came in, I realized that over the years prior to me coming, there had been sort of different statements about who the company was and what the, you know, what it was about. They weren't unified. They weren't clear enough. And I really feel like in order for any business to be successful, the company has to have focus. You have to get everybody rowing in the same direction in order to get where you're trying to go. And in order for you to do that, to set the direction, um, you need to state it clearly, right? What it is, who you are, and what you're trying to do. And it's from there that as a business, your strategy and your tactics will flow. And if you need to change course at some point, that's okay too. Again, you'll see that a lot in my life, I've changed course. But in order to change course, you need to first establish a direction that you can start with to change your trajectory. You can't just be floating out there. So that is what I feel one of the most important things that I have done as a CEO is to come in, set the company mission and vision, and then use that to make decisions about where I want the company to go from here. That makes a lot, a lot of sense. And I think that's one of the things when we actually, putting on my other hat as a PR firm founder, Mm -hmm. that's one of the first things that we do ensure that everybody, that there is a clear message and everyone understands it because otherwise, how can everyone even be going in the same direction if they don't really understand? So that's so smart. I I had to ask you, I see that dictionary.com chose woman as the 2022 word of the year. That is awesome. And I love that we're talking about it during or talking now during National Women's Women's Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. So why did you choose that word? So let's talk about fortuitous. So first of all, we have a skilled team of really experienced lexicographers, the people who write the dictionary and language experts that are always studying words, but not just the words, how language is being used. So this one, 
honestly, the team looked at the data over the course of the year for searches for words on our website. They looked at what was going on in the world related to words, seeing things that popped up. And, you know, every year they do this exercise. Those two things don't always match. But in this case, with women, it was so obvious. Like when the team came to me, they had their contenders, right, for word of the year. It was so glaringly obvious based on the data. I mean, it was something like 1,400%, 1,400% rise in searches for the word woman because of what was going on in the world last year. So many things happened. So there were many cultural, yes, political things all directly tied to the word woman. I wish I could take credit for <laughs> thinking that word, but it was so obvious the word kind of shows itself. That's awesome. Well, I, I mean, mentioning that it's National um, Women's History Month and last month was Black History Month. From your perspective, are these months significant? Given that I am a Black woman, uh, I would probably sound kind of crazy if I said they weren't significant. But look, it's, it is no secret that historically, the contributions of both women and Black people have not often been celebrated, right? Sometimes they've been overlooked and sometimes even intentionally ignored or hidden. So any celebration to me that brings those things to the fore, the contributions of women and Black people is extremely significant and, you know, well worth the time and effort invested in doing so. So I'm very glad you said that because it was supposed to lead you to that answer. But of course, whoever knows, but from, from a business perspective, you know, some businesses get these things really right and some some don't, you know, slapping up on your social, just a picture that really yeah. doesn't mean very much. But what is the best way for businesses or what are the best ways do you think that businesses can acknowledge and celebrate these kind of months? So for me, it's it's twofold, right? First of all, it is good business acknowledging the important segments of your own audience, right? right? Let's just start there. Um, you know, you can't overlook a part of your audience and expect to be successful, although some have done that. Um, it's a no-brainer. So, you know, yes, we do the regular things, what I would call regular, but maybe they're not to every business. Our editorial team does a lot of research. They write content that speaks to these groups. Yes, they put it on our site. Yes, they put it in our social. They look at history. They do all the research needed to really try and speak to these groups. And we even talk about design, right? As we're redesigning our website or launching a new product, how can we be serving those audiences in a better way? And when I say not just external, we have team members at dictionary.com, women, people of color, black people. We need to do things to acknowledge those people within our own teams, have celebrations, you know, play fun games. Um, there's been any number of different things that we do internally to try to celebrate that and our differences. And it's not just in those months, right? One of the things, one of my team called this to my attention recently. I was like, wow, you know, we have a super diverse leadership team. And I was like, we do? <laughs> right? Because it wasn't even, it's just so core to who I am to just bring in all types of people mm -hmm. that it just, it happens almost organically 
right, to, to do that, to bring those people in. So these are my people. This is my team. It's not just my audience. It's the people I work with. And so from a business perspective, yes, you want to serve your audience, but also any business needs to be thinking about the people who work there because they are the ones that get things done and you need to acknowledge them internally as well. That's a great point. So not to throw around too many uh, business terms. First, we talked about <laughs> networking. Now I'm going to bring up mentorship. But, okay. Yeah, but I think I know that mentorship is something that you're passionate about. I've been told that. And people talk about it all the time, but it's a, it's difficult to figure out really how to get a mentor or mm-hmm. how to be a mentor in the right way. So this is a two-part question. And the the first part really is, you know, if you are somebody that is looking for a mentor, what is a true way to go about finding someone without asking too much of that other person, Mm -hmm. but with really getting some good advice on a regular basis? So it's, it's interesting. I was just talking to some young ladies today and the word mentor didn't come up, but we were just having conversations and they were asking me questions. So what I would say is, first of all, you don't need to jump out there and ask any influential person you come into contact with to be your mentor, right? Um, what you should do is look around you at people who are perhaps doing things that you admire or aspire to do. Invest the time it takes to get to know them and who they are before you jump out and say, can you be my mentor, right? And As a first step, and I've had this happen a number of times, you can ask for just a little bit of time. Like, do you have 15 minutes just to talk to me, right? And when you do that, often these people, they're very busy. So if someone says, you know what? Yes, uh, I have 15 minutes. Come in targeted and focused with your questions because these people are busy and they are happy to give you your time. So don't waste it, right? Mm -hmm. Now, Think about also, especially if it's someone that you come into contact with more often, how could you help that person, right? It's not just about how they can help you and be your mentor. What do you have to offer from your time or service genuinely, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you help others, very often you learn things that you wouldn't expect and it does strengthen that bond. So I guess part one, how do you find a mentor? My opinion is, yes, they have mentorship programs and things you can do. The more valuable is the organic one where you ask someone questions, try to learn about them, let them get to know you and have that mentorship flow naturally. Um, It doesn't need to be a formal arrangement. So on the other side, right, because now I'm, it's funny as I've gotten older, I have realized um, oh, I guess I have something valuable to share. <laughs> so like, as you're going through life and doing what you do, you don't really think about it that way. But if someone wants to be a mentor, um, to the this to me, it's very simple. To the extent that you are able and you have time, you just have to be open. If a younger person comes to you and wants to talk or asks advice, find that 10 minutes, find that 15 minutes. Help them as much as you can. It doesn't need to be a formal commitment every month. I'm going to talk to you, but just be open to helping. That's the best way to mentor, I think. Yeah, I agree. 
I absolutely agree with what you're saying. So if someone wants to follow you or follow <laughs> dictionary.com or follow both, what's the way to do it? Well, obviously you should go to dictionary.com. First of all, we have vibrant um, Instagram and Twitter accounts where you can follow. Um, and I do post from time to time. My team is actually always on me. I'm terrible at social media. <laughs> terrible at it. Um, but no, you know, that that really is the best way to see what we are up to um, is to follow us on our socials. And I can get those tags for you. Put them in. Um, but yes, that is the best way. Fantastic. And just to end, and you've given so much great advice already, but is there one piece of advice particularly that has helped you in your life and your career that you could share with us? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go back to something I, I said before and maybe say it more succinctly. It's going to sound so hokey. <laughs> Treat people well. You will meet the same people over and over again as you're climbing the ladder or rising your career, and they will remember how you treated them and they will tell others. And as I've kind of given some examples, I can't tell you how many opportunities that I've been fortunate enough to get or be considered for because someone remembered working with me in a positive way. So yes, you know, no brainer, do a good job, work as hard as you can, but how you treat people is, I can't stress enough how important that is. Well, that is great advice and a perfect place to end. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.